Welcome to the ENA Podcast with your host, Dan Campana. This is the ENA Podcast, and this is Dan Campana, Director of Communications with the Emergency Nurses Association, welcoming you to our latest episode. And as we're winding down the year, it's a good time to do some reflecting on everything that we've experienced. And it'd be hard to do that without thinking about Emergency Nursing 2023, which somehow was basically two months ago, a little more than two months ago. But it's living on through digital access, which has been a great opportunity for attendees, either in person or folks that just purchased digital access, uh, to uh, check out a bunch of sessions that maybe they didn't have a chance to when they were on site with so much going on, or to relive something that uh, really hit them and, and struck them. So what I did was I spent a little time with our education team to look at the most viewed sessions so far in digital access. And uh, we landed on one that uh, it kind of spoke to me as someone who's not a nurse, but it talks about teamwork. It talks about some of the high-end situations that go on in ED. And to help us do that, let me introduce Janelle Roscoe. She's an emergency nurse from Arizona, and she presented emergency nurses teamwork during code arrest resuscitation in San Diego. She's one of the top fivers in digital access right now. So we could talk a little bit more about that session. So Janelle, welcome to the ENA podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Janelle, like I said, you're you're one of the top fivers right now with everything that, uh, you know, with all the hundreds, you know, hundred something sessions that went on. Your focus is around teamwork. And we'll talk about the session in a little bit, but this is really something that you emphasize in, you know, in your day-to-day life is really looking at the team dynamic and EDs. So let me start with really a, a basic, probably loaded, but high level question, which is, you know, teamwork in the ED, uh, really, you know, the team dynamic, all of that really should be starting long before there's a code, right? I mean, am I oversimplifying the, the value of what teamwork is about? No, no, you're not. And, you know, code arrest during resuscitation, looking at teamwork, one of the reasons that it's so unique is that it's taking all those foundational relationships that we've built and all of those variables that come with working in an emergency department that you don't really experience anywhere else and amplifying it, right? All of a sudden we're in a high stress, high stress, critical stress incidents and all of those things that we've built, all of those interactions, all of those relationships are suddenly 10 times more important as it relates to not only how we're functioning as a team, but the outcomes that we're going to get for our patients. There's a lot at stake in those moments. So how do you see is the best way to start to build those things up outside of those stressful moments? There's a bond that happens from those stressful moments, I imagine. But what are some of those little key things that really start to show a team can blend together? You know, what, what have you experienced or what have you seen as you're, you know, someone who's really a student of this part of the of the game? Oh, absolutely. And you nail it when you say I'm a student, right? Because every relationship that we have, the research emphasizes that everything is going to be unique. And what's important to know when we're building those foundational relationships are what your strengths are individually as a person. So whether you are really, really skilled in communicating with with families, maybe you're really skilled in um, the technical work and that's where you thrive. Um, Learning what you are good at is step one, square one, and being totally transparent with yourself. (laughs) This is where I strive to be. This is where I am. Uh, This is where I need work. Um, And then identifying your resources. So really looking at your coworkers and identifying, hey, they're really good at this, or you know what, this is not their strong point, which is okay, because we all have areas that we're not great at, myself included. Um, 
But building that sense of trust where you can be totally transparent with each other. And this is my strength. This is my weakness. So that when we get into those critical stress incidences, such as a resuscitation, we're able to kind of fall back on that base level of knowledge we have. In your session, you talk about non-technical skills. It sounds like that's the range of things you just described, which have very little to do about the acute care, the, you know, who's calling what and what do you need from everybody. So it's really about the human side of this, but we're all human, as you mentioned. There's a lot of obstacles that come with that. So what are some of the key obstacles that are important for people to recognize in order to build those foundational relationships? So I think it's important to define a non-technical skill. So like you said, a non-technical skill are those things that you can't learn in a book, that you can't pull out a procedure sheet and go through line by line. It's really those human nature components of who we are as people. And I always say we can study and we practice and it doesn't matter if you're the highest level practitioner there is as an emergency department nurse, you're still a person and you still have personal qualities that are going to reflect in how you are taking care of patients and how you're interacting in the emergency department. So things like how you communicate with each other. So what's your tone? Um, are you one of those people who is a little bit more introverted? So you're not a person of many words. That's okay. No, that about yourself are you someone who doesn't stop talking <laughs> you know <laughs> what who are you um that's one of the biggest parts of non-technical skill um but also you know one of the barriers that we experience in the emergency department as it relates to non-technical skills is that we are continuously rotating the people that we're working with right so whether that's um, you know, a technician, a resident, a physician, a paramedic, an EMT, a pharmacist, we are continuously experiencing new personalities and new people that we have to read not only in what is their technical knowledge, but also are they understanding me? Are we on the same page? So that really is that non-technical piece. Consistency seems like it's a big part of this. So you, if you just, you just described the lack of consistency because you're always working with different people, does that put a, a different level of emphasis on that self-analysis to say, am I being consistent with the people I'm around? Absolutely. And, you know, that's why the emergency department is so special, right? I mentioned in my lecture, and I'll say it again, we are special. <laughs> Research <laughs> emphasizes that we're special in the emergency department. And um, we have to become good at communicating, again, not only technical skill, but what we are, who we are, and then what our teams do. So, you know, we're going to have continuous change, continuous different interactions, um, but ultimately, it's our job to, to know how I can be consistent, to know what parts of my teams are consistent. What can I count on? What can I not count on? When we were uh, referencing potential for obstacles, imagine one of those things that can happen is uh, clinical or technical proficiency breeds some, sometimes uh, personalities that create, uh, um, what's, the, what's the right way of putting it? a little bit more assertiveness or a feeling of authority, which then starts to bleed over into those non-technical. So is that the main obstacle that you've seen or are there other obstacles that make that team dynamic not gel the way that you need it to, especially if you're in one of those really intense moments? You know, one of the, there's four primary components that we really look at um, when this research was conducted in regards to um, how to deal with that, right? How to deal with those special personalities that we come across in the ED and those special instances that may demand a different manner of 
composing yourself, handling yourself. Um, and that's, those four components are recognizing um, the value of the team and the individuals within the team. So you may have someone that is overly communicative or maybe very assertive or maybe just downright aggressive. We'll just say it, right? Cause yeah. it happens. <laughs> um, you have to know that about that other person. You have to know that about yourself. Like when I get in these moments, I may be very, very um, direct. And the most important thing that we talk about in regards to mitigating that is keeping calm, right? So it's easy to escalate when other people in the room are escalating, but knowing yourself, knowing your own levels and being able to check yourself and how you're going to respond to that is one of the biggest ways that you can overcome that particular obstacle. You re referenced in your session or in the session description that was something that jumped out at me, you know, teamwork performance may make the life or death difference. So ultimately, a lot of time in these codes, the patient's survi surviving is the measurement of whether it was a successful resuscitation or a successful code. But from the teamwork side of things, is there enough emphasis paid to looking at how the team operated, regardless of the, the patient's outcome, to see if everybody operated to that optimal level, you know, in all those non-technical ways, as well as their clinical proficiencies, does that get debriefed nearly as much as it probably could have? Oh, absolutely not. And, you know, that actually is what um, really started all of this research is, you know, as an emergency nurse, I'm sure we can all relate to that feeling where you walk out of a room and maybe things went your way, but you still don't feel good. Or maybe the patient didn't survive, right? But you're like, wow, that went really well. And that feeling is proven to not be linked to the patient outcome. And it's more linked to our ability to do everything we can for the patient, right? So even if our patients don't survive, if we did everything we possibly could in regards to our team efficiency, our team dynamics, how we allocated our roles, that feeling is going to perpetuate a positive outcome for patients to that come next and come next and come next. That one negative interaction with the team doesn't just stay within that code, right? So we the research shows we're not debriefing on our team dynamics. It's something that we don't talk about. You know, we train over and over to make sure we know our algorithms, we know our medications, we know the appropriate number of joules to defibrillate with, right? But how do you take a negative interaction that you had, maybe with a physician, maybe with a team member, another nurse, and mitigate any potential negative outcome that, that you may have because of that strained relationship in the next code arrest scenario? Because you don't know how quickly that next one may come up, right? Exactly. And, you know, I, I always think about it. If you've ever had a tense conversation with somebody, you know that, like, angst you have deep in your stomach when you're going to see them again? right? Um, it's the same thing. So if you experience a critical stress incidence, even if you're seeing that person over and over day in and day out, and you're not having that same replicated high level of stress, the next time you're in that similar scenario, that pit in your stomach is likely to come back. It's likely to influence how you're going to behave. Ultimately, it's what you're doing between the codes that determines the success of that team dynamic, you know, Everything that happens in between, whether it's five minutes or it's a day, which seems unrealistic to say you're going to go days between codes, but you know what I'm, I'm kind right. of getting at with that. So on your background that, you know, you teach a program on, you know, um, you know, relating to organizational leadership and certainly within this, 
Uh, had you presented at an ENA conference before? No, that was my first time presenting. I'd attended quite a few times. Um, and I remember the first time I went just being floored by the fantastic information and just being like, one day, one day I want to do that. Um, what, uh, and it was what, such a cool experience. What I was going to say, what, what, what made you, you know, push the button or, or, you know, jump out of the airplane, I guess, so to speak, this time around to say, I want to do it. And this is the top topic I'm going to do it on. Because I finally found something that I was so passionate about that I couldn't not talk about it. And I think that it's one of those things that everyone has experienced, but it's really hard to put into words. It's it's hard to give feelings. You know, it's hard to <laughs> give those, those feeling words a place in um, what we try to make such an objective environment, right? We want our code arrest to be objective as possible. But that level of subjectivity is what makes it challenging. It's what makes it unique and makes every resuscitation different. Um, and, you know, the more I researched it and, you know, after conducting my own research with the outcomes that I found, I was like, I can't, I can't not talk about it. It's, it's too important. What was, uh, what was the, the experience like itself to be in front of the room and describe what that was like? Obviously, there was a lot of people who've been drawn to the session in digital access, but I imagine that you, you had a pretty good sized room, probably got a little rock star treatment at the end where people wanted to come up and talk with you even more afterward. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was, um, it was funny because you have an expectation, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to go talk about it, maybe meet some new people. It'll be really fun. Um, I got there, I got assigned my room and it was, you know, one of the, not a small conference room, but one of the smaller conference rooms. Um, and then later on, I checked my listing and I got moved to the biggest conference room at the convention center. And I was like, oh, I wonder if it closed. And then, you know, maybe the other one's out of order or something. And I got in and the seats kept filling and I just, you know, obviously nerve wracking, but so exciting because there's, there's an interest and there's an emphasis and being in a room with that many people who want to be successful, who want to learn and get better. It's, it's a contagious environment. What were the, what were the follow-up questions like afterward? Cause I, I choked with you before we started to record. I said, you probably had some people that wanted the 201 version of this five minutes after the 101 was done, but what, what was some of the feedback or some of the questions that people had that showed they want even more, you know, to understand, you know, what you were talking about? Yeah. You know, we talk a lot about, um, personal knowledge, right? Um, and one of the biggest questions is how do I start? How do I start down that path to understanding, you know, how I behave in critical stress incidences and how I behave maybe between the critical stress incidences? And um, so that was one of the biggest questions that I got. The second one was how do I have difficult conversations when I'm working with a team member who is um, maybe lacking in non-technical skill or maybe has an area that they can improve in a non-technical skill that would enhance the team's performance, um, which are fantastic questions. And um, you want the answer? Do you want the answer? Go for it. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's make sure everybody gets the takeaways. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I always say start with you. Right, because we're the only people we can really control ourselves. Um, it sounds corny, but you know, on your brain sheets, on a notepad, on a glove, you know, with a sharpie, because we've all done it. Um, start writing down those moments that make you uncomfortable and identifying those spaces that, um, if you could avoid, you would. Right. I always say eat the frog. Start with the hardest thing, because the other things get a little bit easier after you've eaten the frog. Right. Um, Identify one area that is difficult for you as a person. Maybe that's um, public speaking, 
you know, so if you're in a code arrest, you have a hard time as a timekeeper shouting up above the madness and saying, hey, we need a pulse check, right? Does that give you anxiety? Do you have an easy time doing that, an easy time kicking people out of the room, but a really hard time interacting with family members of patients, right? Or a really hard time um, maybe complimenting somebody. How do you work that in? So everybody has an area to work in. I always say start with the hardest one and then gradually build in that one spot. As you build in that one spot, it becomes easier to identify other areas of growth and other areas of strengths. Um, and to find a buddy, right? Find a buddy who you're like, wow, I wish I could talk to people the way you talk to people or wow, you handled that situation really, really well. How did you do it? Right. We all know somebody, we all know somebody. You're like, I just want your words to come out of my mouth. So <laughs> identify that person for you and ask for feedback. Um, and the other uh, response I would have when it comes to having difficult conversations is each one's going to be unique because, again, remember, we all have built relationships. The only way you would not have a built relationship with somebody is if you met them for the first time and were telling them you didn't like them. So that's not going to happen, right? We all have a background if we're having a difficult conversation. Um but always start with fact finding and not fact finding in um, I'm going to blame you for the issues that are happening right now. Ask for a perspective, right? So I'm here to talk to you about what happened during this code, right? Can you tell me what you experienced and listen? And this is the hardest part, not listen to respond. So as they're talking, you don't want to be formulating your own opinion or how you're going to come back at them, right? Actually listening to their perspective, because most of the time it's going to be 180 degrees different and it helps us meet in the middle. It helps us find a solution and have open, um, non-accusatory conversation. There's a balance of introspection for yourself with being open-minded to somebody else's experience. And then, like you said, meeting in the middle to understand where's the the reality somewhere in between the story that you tell yourself and what you're hearing maybe from the other person. Exactly. Yep. The, no two people are ever have the same truth. But sure. the nice part about critical stress incidents and code arrests is there is that point of objectivity, right? There are those things where we say we have to be doing X, Y, and Z. This non-objective incident, this non-technical skill impeded our ability to meet these objective goals. So how do we address the non-technical skill so that we can meet our goals or, you know, improve upon in the next time? So this may seem like the hardest question because it's the last question, but okay. <laughs> being a student of team dynamics, but also you're still in the ED, you're in these moments, you know, mm -hmm. clearly your brain is focused on what you need to do in that code, but are you doing sort of that, you know, personal debrief or that assessment for yourself once you come out of those moments to go, what do I take away from this for my own personal sake as a, as a student of this topic, of this area of the work? to say, what did I notice? You know, how, how do you sort of uh, in, in capture what went on after you've lived in it and you've done it and you know that by the book only means so much once you're in the heat of it, but what, what do you walk away from a code that you are participating in as it relates to the researcher side of you? So I would say for me, um, it's it's very subjective, but I go by that feeling. And I think we probably all felt it as emergency nurses um, when you walk out of a code arrest. So um, sometimes it's 
immediately after a time of death. Sometimes it's after four hours and the patient stabilized and went to the ICU. Sometimes it's when someone comes takes over for you, right? But you walk out of that room, your duty is done. Do you feel comfortable? Do you feel nothing? Do you feel a pit in your stomach? And that's kind of what I rely on. And, you know, I always, my coworkers could probably attest to sometimes I'm like, I get so excited, right? I'm like, yeah, this was awesome. Like that was so hard, but we did so good, right? And it just gets me jazzed and energized. And that's when I know, okay, what went well? What can I take, right? And, but there's those sometimes where you walk out and maybe you don't necessarily want to talk about it just yet, even though we should be, we should be debriefing, maybe not immediately. Um, but you have that moment of, ugh, right? Um, and putting a name to it, giving it words um, is really the biggest way that I personally continue to try to, to grow in my own participation in teams. And it's um, definitely something that I think, again, my coworkers could attest to that happens regularly. <laughs> and ultimately what you hope for is progress. And so uh, I'll let you take us out on a final, you know, final word here from a high note perspective, one thing you want somebody listening to this, whether they've seen the session, whether they're going to see the session, whether they just know what it's like to be in codes, good, bad, or indifferent in terms of a team dynamic, what's one thing that you want them to think about after listening to this for the next time they go to work or code? Oh man, you said the last question was gonna be the hardest. <laughs> <laughs> it still um, was, I just added one, right? <laughs> what I would say is um, to remember that you know, algorithms are put in place for the objectivity, but we're the humans behind the algorithms. Even if we do everything perfectly, we're not always going to feel fantastic. And that's okay. Even if things don't go our way um, in regards to a patient outcome, but you feel good about your performance, you feel good about your role as a member of the team, that's okay too. That it's not always going to align. But what's important is that we're debriefing in our own heads, but also as teams so that we continue to make those times where you walk out feeling uncomfortable, less and less frequent, and that we're able to adapt to the continuous changes that we're experiencing in the emergency department. Janelle Roscoe, thank you so much for being a part of the ENA podcast today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That'll do it for this episode of the ENA podcast. We've got one more left for the year that's coming real soon. But while you're waiting for that episode to drop, I encourage you to go to ena.org slash events slash EN2023, where you can still purchase ENA's digital access for Emergency Nursing 2023, where you can go and find Janelle's session, Emergency Nurses Teamwork During Code Arrest Resuscitation. So you can hear a little bit more of what she shared with everybody in San Diego. And you, know, you can use this as a little bit of that uh, Cliff Notes preview to go into and, and check out the session. Uh, digital access is available through the end of January, so you still have some time to check out all the sessions that you may have missed or the ones that uh, you want to just relive. Or if you've not actually been a part of digital access, you can purchase it and scoop up as much information as you'd like here in the next month or so. With all that, this is Dan Campana. Thank you for joining us this time on the ENA Podcast and hope you'll join us for the next episode of the ENA Podcast. To learn more about ENA or to become a member, visit ena.org backslash membership.